Good morning. You know, I, I don't know if any of you caught what Charlie had said during his moment when he was, was speaking about connecting to people and you don't know the difference and the impact that may make long term. Stand up and connect to somebody, would you? Let's go. Everybody up, connect, shake hands, give somebody a hug, do something with somebody around you just to say hi. Nobody's alone. If you see somebody by themselves, everybody go and hug them. All right, I got to tell you, the 9 o'clock service is half the size of the 10.30 service, but they're much more connected. Like, they, they went on for like five minutes, so I don't know what's wrong with you guys. You just don't like people? Well, what's the deal? I don't know. Anyway, we're glad you're here today. We really are, and we're going to jump in uh, to a pretty interesting series starting today. Yesterday, Joelle and my wife and I, we took our granddaughter, Ivy, to see Cinderella at the Taft Theater. This is, yeah, that, that, that's my granddaughter, Ivy, and, and then the next picture is us at the, uh, the theater at the Taft, and, and uh, I had such a good time. Joella, now, Joella bought Ivy that Cinderella dress, right? Special ordered it, came in. She bought her gold sparkly tennis shoes to wear with the dress. She bought herself a fairy grandmother shirt, and gold sparkling matching tennis shoes to wear with Ivy. And guess what she bought me? No, no sparkling tennis shoes, but she bought me a fairy grandfather shirt, which I did not wear, by the way. I'm just letting you know. I know, I know. <laughs> hey, I still had a good, I still had a good time, so, you know. Anyway, uh, it was it, the, the most amazing thing was, was sitting there during the Cinderella play and watching Ivy clap after the music, you know, after the song. Watching her smile filled up her entire face when they were singing and dancing and just seeing the joy that it was just being a kid, you know, just taking it all in at, at three years old. Because we all know that in just a few years, the ease of childhood turns into learning how to adult, right? You go from being a kid and then all of a sudden, you have to learn how to, how to adult. I mean, you have to learn all the stuff that goes with adulting, like buying your first car. How do you do that? Where do you do that? When do you do that? How much do you pay for that? How do I get a loan for that? All that kind of stuff. Or like, how do I set up a budget, you know? Because it's not easy to figure out what do I do with my money and how do I do it with my money and, and what do I pay and what don't I pay. And having to figure out how to adult without losing our joy of generosity, right? Because something happens right in the middle of those moments. Something happens where we lose that, that joy of just living, and we get overwhelmed by what's around us. 
But something, again, it gets lost in that translation. When we got home from Cinderella, Ivy, again, almost three years old, she kept coming up and hugging me saying, thank you, Granddad, for taking me to see Cinderella. I had so much fun. And she said that several times. And it's just like, where is that attitude when it comes to life today? You know, where is that attitude for all of us? When it comes to our finances, most of what, what I see are people who are worn out, worn down, overwhelmed by bad financial decisions. And when you read about being thankful, and you read about being generous, and you read about what happens in people's lives as they grow older, a lot of those things go away as we're just consumed with the stuff around us. One of my favorite stories or true story about the generosity and how that works in people's lives is about the secret Santa. Now, secret Santa, this guy, um, one year he gave $85,000 in $100 bills to people around Christmas time. All right? That, just an incredible kind of, kind of generous spirit. Now, in the winter of 1971, this man who would become the secret Santa was working as a door-to-door salesman. He had lost his job. He was broke. He was starving. He hadn't eaten in two days. And he makes his way to this diner. And uh, the owner of the diner saw him sitting there. And the guy orders a big breakfast knowing he couldn't pay for it. And the owner of the diner sees him sitting there. And so he walks over to the table. He said, oh. And he bends down and he has a $20 bill that he, he had in his hand. He said, oh, you must have dropped this. And he handed it to the daughter of a salesman that had lost his job so he could pay for his breakfast. And uh, here's what he said. He said, that was like a fortune to me. Larry Stewart, the secret Santa, reflected, I said to myself, thank you, Lord. Right then, I just made a promise. I said, Lord, if you ever put me in a position to help other people, I will do it. And he made his way to Kansas City. He got another sales job, and he became a multimillionaire. But he handed out over $50,000 every year for 26 years to people for Christmas. That just blows me away. That attitude of generosity, that attitude of seeing life in a different way than, than maybe what most of us see life as. So in the year 2000, he tracked down the, the owner of the diner that had given him the, the $20 bill. And um, he said, I know you're not going to remember me. And I'm assuming the owner of the diner, that was his nature too. Like he was a giving type person. He saw this man in need and he gave him money, acted like you know he had just found it so he didn't embarrass him. I'm assuming that's, and he's going, no, I, no, I really don't know who you are. I, I don't remember you. And he said, well, I'm the man you gave $20 to. And that $20 was like $10,000 to me. And he went, oh, that, that's pretty cool. He said, you never know when your generosity will change someone's life. And he handed the owner of the diner an envelope that had $10,000 in it. You never know what will happen because you're simply generous. Your attitude is full of generosity. And I know a lot of you in this room. I mean, I know a lot of your backgrounds and, and situations, and I know that the people of community, you want to contribute in big-time ways to the kingdom of God, but so many of us are so upside down financially, we have a hard time even throwing $20 in the plate. 
because our lives are consumed and we made some bad decisions. Now, something has to change to get us back to being joyful and being grateful and being generous with our everyday lives so that we can help people. Something has to change in who we are. Now, don't miss this. The average person in our culture doesn't think that they have financial issues. As long as we can make minimum payments on our credit cards, as long as we have enough money to go to a movie and buy some popcorn, we think we're okay. Now, if I were to ask you, don't raise your hands. If I'm going to ask you just to think, how are you doing financially right now? Would you say, I'm good, I'm solid, I don't have any credit card debt. I mean, I'm paying things off. I'm free. I give to people. I help people. I'm generous with people. My attitude is great with that. Or would you say, yeah, I got some issues. I've got some challenges. I need to improve in this area of my life. Now, here are some statistics that are a few years old. But for every $1 that we earn in America, we spend $1.20. Think about that. Just for a minute. For every dollar we earn, we spend $1.20. You know what that means? That means we're in a boatload of debt. That's what that means. It, it, it means that, 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 that our credit card bills, the average person has fifteen dollars to $20,000 in credit card bills currently. Does that describe any of you? Probably. Because that's where we are as a culture. Does it describe you to realize that most of us, when we hit age 65, have less than $250 in the bank in our savings? That's where we are as a culture. Now, we're going to be studying through a book that's a few years old, but I love it, uh, by Barry Cameron. And Barry's son preaches on the east side of Cincinnati, and I've known Barry for 25, 30 years. And he wrote this book called The ABCs of Financial Freedom, And uh, it's a great book. Again, a little bit dated, but we're going to have small groups uh, happening all during the week and on Sundays that you can jump into if you want. You know what? I just need to learn a little bit more financially. I need to learn how to get my finances in a place where I can be generous, all right? Because we all need some direction with our finances. Now, I know we just came off of a series that we called How Not to Read the Bible, dealing with some really, really tough stuff, right? I mean, some sayings that are just difficult to understand, and how do you put those into place, and what do you do with those? Well, this one is no less challenging than those series were, those sermons, those teachings, because they were tough, and this is a tough teaching, because all of us, including myself, have to figure out how do we be generous and keep the attitude and the spirit of generosity happening in our lives while dealing with being an adult and making bad decisions in our lives because we all make those bad decisions. So in the ABCs, here's the A. What we're talking about today are our attitudes, all right? Barry Cameron says this, if we're going to achieve financial freedom, we have to change our attitudes about money. And that's so true. If you have your Bibles, your iPhones, version apps, whatever you've got, if you want to open those up to um, 1 Chronicles 29. This is a cool passage to read. It's 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, 
from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Here's the deal. David realized right there, everything he had, and he was a king, he was incredibly wealthy, everything came from God. And if we're ever going to have true financial success in our personal lives, in our businesses, in our families, in our church, then we have to realize that too. It's not our money. It's God's money. We have to change our attitude about money. We just do. Now, I understand this, right? That we work for this money It's our money, and that's true. But God is the one that provided those opportunities for you. So don't miss that. You have to work, and you get to enjoy the the freedom and the pleasure that comes from earning what you earn from your hard work. But it's all God's to begin with. Now, here's one of the lies we tell ourselves about money, especially when it comes to church, and it's this. We hardly, or all the church talks about is money. All right, that's what we think whenever we start talking about money. Our minds directly go to, oh, all the church wants to talk about is money. Let me just say this. That's a lie. I've been on this stage for 30 years, and I hardly ever talk about money. I'm not proud of that. I think it's put us in a bad situation, to be honest with you, at many, many times, but we hardly ever talk about money. Um, we, we just don't. Now, Christ followers in our culture should be the ones that people look to and go, uh, they got their act together. Why? Because the Bible talks a lot about money. Even though we don't talk a lot about money at Community Church, the Bible talks a lot about money. How we should be good financial managers, how we should be very generous how we should give to people in need, how we should have our financial house in order. 16 of 38 parables talk about money. One out of every six verses in the Bible talks about money, finances, stuff. 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why do you think that is? Because we struggle with it. That's why. And God knew that. God knew that stuff and our finances were going to mess us up. He knew that we were going to struggle. And he knew that it would be on the top of everybody's things that we got to continue to work on list. Right? Like you get to your New New Year's resolutions. I've got to get a budget in order. I've got to get my spending under control. I've got to get my finances to where I'm okay. And it, it, you know, again, I've been here 30 years. Ever since I started here at, at Community, it's been the same. Somebody will always come up to me and say, Scott, I'm inviting one of my friends to come to church with me uh, this, this coming Sunday. Can you please make sure you're not going to talk about money? That's been 30 years, guys, and I still get those comments. Can you make sure it's good and make sure you don't talk about money? 
Well, I can't make sure it's good, but I hardly ever talk about money. So your chances are pretty good that that that's what it is. But when you start looking in that, and and in my mind, I heard that often enough to where I started thinking, that's what turns people off to Christianity is when churches talk about money, so I won't talk about money. But that's not true. Because if that's your excuse for not coming to church, then you haven't been to many churches in very long to know that that's not what every church talks about. I know that Satan has planted this, this seed inside of so many people's minds that that phrase becomes true whether it is or not. Churches just want your money. So when the topic of money comes up, you're offended. When the topic of money comes up, hey, we're talking about the ABCs of financial freedom. You're going, well, the next four Sundays, I'm going to be somewhere else, not coming to community, (laughs) certainly not inviting any of my friends to come to community because that's all the church talks about is money. And so I'll be free for the next four Sunday mornings. You know, I'm, I'm not coming there. And that's where our minds go. We already tune it out. We already play it out, what we're doing instead of thinking about our finances. Barry Cameron in this book says, if the devil can get you upset or fired up, you won't listen up and you'll miss the truth that can set you free. If Satan can use this teaching to turn people away, then he's already won. And we'll never do what God wants us to do, which is to have a life of generosity, to have a life where we're happy and we love to help people. That's what God wants for you. He doesn't want us stuck in a financial mess. Now, here's the second lie. It's this, money and things can satisfy me. Money and stuff, that's what's going to make me happy. I know. It sounds like the truth, right? I mean, it just does. We all know that stuff is great for a while, but it always fades, rusts, rips, or goes out of style. Do you think money can bring you happiness? Do you think stuff will fill that void that's in your life? Listen, we're all the same. We all think that, whether we want to admit it or not. Come down to my basement. I've got 25 guitars, all right? And every time I buy a new, this guitar is what's going to change. This guitar is going to make me a better player. It hasn't worked yet, all right? 25 guitars later, I'm still going, this next guitar, that's it. I mean, it's, it's going to provide, it's going to make me a great, I'm going to be able to shred and play. That's what it's going to do. It, it's just a new guitar. When in fact, it's just my lack of skill that stops me from playing great. But it's always one more, right? It's just always one more. Something else, something new, something fresh. That's going to change who I am, where I am, what I'm doing, and how I feel about myself. And I know, I know that you hear what I just said. Right? I know you just heard. I said, stuff didn't buy me any happiness, even though I keep buying. Right? I know you just heard that, right? Everybody, you hear that? Then why don't you believe it? Why don't you believe that stuff won't buy you happiness? Well, Scott, if I had that new car, I'd be happy. Right? I mean, I would, until it breaks down. Until you have to start putting money into it, because... Something happened to the radiator, to the engine. You didn't change the oil when the flashing change oil light came on on your car. Now the engine's ruined. Yeah, it's great until something happens. If I just had that house, then I'd be happy. Really? 
And so you had to fix the frozen water lines. So you had to put a new HVA system in it. Until so you had to paint it. Until so you had to fix the sagging deck in it. Until so you had to mow the grass every week. It's great until reality sets in. And then all of a sudden you're not happy anymore. Why? Because it didn't bring happiness. And that's my point. We just don't believe that. We see thousands of ads about stuff that our culture tells us that we need to have because it will satisfy us. Let me ask you, how many wealthy people do you know? Just think about that. I mean, how many multimillionaires do you know? I happen to be in a place where I know several multimillionaires. One of my friends sold his business a few years ago for $300 million. So is the wealthiest person that I know the happiest person that I know? Absolutely not. He's a great guy. I mean, he's a great guy. He does a lot with his money for the kingdom of God. He has all kinds of ministry opportunities that he's doing. But guess what? He still has relationship issues, health issues, challenges in dealing with day-to-day life. That didn't change. Just because he has stuff doesn't make him any happier. It just makes him in a different playing field that we're in. But we all have challenges in our lives. And we think they're going to be the most happy, but they're just not. Let me ask you a question. Who's happier? The man with 10 children or the man with $10 million? 10 children? Really? You're going, well, I don't want to, I might want to find that out. Um, $10 million or 10 kids? It's the man with 10 kids because he don't want no more. That, that's the reason. He's satisfied. He has everything he needs. I know, bad joke. It's in the middle of the series. Sorry. King Solomon was like the Elon Musk of his day, right? More money than he ever knew what to, to do with. And he tried everything to find satisfaction with all of his wealth. He says this in Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It just is. Money and stuff will not satisfy us. You need to change your attitude. And only God, here's the reality, only God can fill that void in your life, yet we come to God last to fill that void and we try to fill it with everything else around us. Here's another lie that we tell ourselves. It's my money and I can do whatever I want to with it. All right. Most of us think that. Right? It's my money. I worked for it. Solomon tried living out that, that kind of theory at the beginning of his reign as king. He said this in Ecclesiastes 2. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Yet when I survey all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He finally understood. I mean, he finally got this, right? Something that all of us need to understand. If you don't get this, you'll never come to a place in your life where you're joyful and generous. You just won't. He finally understood that God owns everything and I'm just his money manager. 
Some of you say, I'd like to be a money manager. I'm, I'm good with that. God has given you everything that you have, but you're just his money manager. And that sets us up for this lifetime of change and how we see things and what we do with things, right? If we don't get that, we just keep chasing one empty dream after another. We just keep going, well, if I get this, if I get this, if I get this, then I'll be satisfied. But we're never satisfied because we think it's our stuff. Author Greg Laurie wrote this about a a true story about an older woman. He was shopping at Kroger, and she came out of Kroger, had her grocery bags in her hand, and she come to her car, and she saw four young guys in her car. And so she thought they were stealing her car. So she drops her groceries, and she pulls a gun out of her purse. I love that, by the way. She pulls a gun out of her purse, and she says, get out of my car. I have a gun, and I know how to use it. And these four young guys, they just take off. I mean, they are scared. I'd be scared to death at that point, too. They're scared to death. And they run away, and she picks up her groceries, goes, puts the groceries in the back seat of the car, and she gets in the front, and her keys don't work in the ignition. It wasn't her car. Her car was five cars down. So, being a lady of integrity few years on her, she drives to the police station. And she walks in and she tells them, these guys, I thought we're trying to rob my car. It wasn't really my car. And the sergeant starts cracking up laughing. And she goes, what are you laughing? He said, well, the four kids are down there saying this, this weird grandma with a gun was trying to carjack them. <laughs> and you hear that story, you go, that's pretty good. But the truth is, it wasn't her car. You know, it wasn't hers, even though she thought that it was. And we do that with so many things in our lives. When we think that our stuff is our stuff, when we think that our money and our possessions are ours, that's when our lives start to unravel. It's just true. It it really is the truth. That's when we start stressing out about everything. Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. God's saying, this is my stuff. And I'm going to loan it to you and I want you to use it because using the money is great and God has given it to you so that we can have some pleasure and being able to have some things that we want. That's all good stuff, but I just want you to manage it for a while. It's not yours to keep. First Chronicles 29 says this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything comes from God, and we're just God's delivery people. Now, now listen, I give a tithe of my income. That's 10% of my income back to the kingdom of God. That's what I do. That's what God asks for. You know, that's a tithe that's 10% of, of what you make. I give that to God. Why? Because it's his to begin with. It wasn't mine. I work hard for the money. I work long hours many times. I invest heavily into your lives and the lives of the people in this this community. But listen, it's not my money. And to say, look how generous I am. I give 10% of my income to God. That's not generosity. That's giving God a small portion of what he's given to me. Just a small portion. And if I think God's not going to bless me for doing that and provide more for me, then I haven't learned anything in life. Because that's how God works. 
Let me ask you this. If you call UPS up and the UPS guy comes to your house and you hand him a package that's supposed to be shipped and instead of him shipping it, he takes it home and he decides to use it. What's going to happen? Some of you are going, lawsuit. I get shipping free for life after I sue UPS, right? Some of you are thinking that. Some of you are going to be ticked. You're going to track him down. And you're going to get him and say, well, if you didn't want me to use it, then why'd you hand it to me? Because you're the delivery person. That's why I handed it to you, right? You're not supposed to take my stuff. You're supposed to pass it on. You're supposed to deliver it. Everything that I have is on temporary loan from God. We get to manage that, but it's not ours to keep. God says, here, take this, deliver it. Use it, deliver it to the people around you. Be generous, be, be giving, be, be full of joy when you do that. Now, now pass it on. And instead we keep it and we hoard it and we hide it. And we go, all this is my stuff. And God's going, you're the UPS guy. You know, you don't get to keep it. You get to use it. Everything we have is on temporary loan from God. Now, <laughs> we'll never be financially free if we think it's all about us. We just won't be. Don't miss this. You do realize that all the stuff you hoard and hold on to and try to protect, that this world is not your home forever. I do a lot of funerals, and I empathize and hurt for the people that lose people close to them. I mean, I really do. But I also understand that this world is 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years if you live to the full extent of your life. 90 years is a blip on the map compared to eternity. It's not very long, right? It's just not. And so when you realize that this world is not your home, that God has created you to live forever with him in heaven, that this is just a temporary space for you to grow and mature and, and learn how to love, it's pretty surprising to think about life that way. Let's just say you live in France and you came to the United States on a work visa. All right? So on a work visa, you're allowed to send money back home to France, but you can't send anything else. Like you can't buy stuff and when you leave, take everything with you. Everything you buy has to stay here, but you can send money back home to France. What are you going to do with your money? Are you going to buy a bunch of stuff here if you can't take it back home with you? Or are you going to go into the place you're living, knock out walls, put granite countertops in, put the best sound system you can possibly put in, put these massive, expensive paintings on the walls when it's your hotel room? Probably not. Why? Because you're only there for a short time, right? You're only there for a while. And yet that's what we do with what we have here. We're not going to spend money knocking out walls and building new things if this is a temporary kind of thing. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. Nothing wrong with having whatever stuff that you choose to have as long as your priorities aren't all about you. As long as your generosity quotient is high. As long as your joy about seeing people helped and loved and you're able to make an impact on the people around you. Nothing wrong with stuff. But this is our hotel room. This isn't our permanent place. 
If you don't believe that, what happens to all the toys that you gain when you live in this world? The one with the most toys doesn't win. The one with the most toys see them rust and rot and decay and go back into the junk pile. Right? Because that's the way it is. It's all God's. If you don't believe me, look at all the yard sales that are around. My wife and I, that's our hobby. We like to yard sale. So 90% of our house is bought with stuff that somebody else had paid a lot of money for and we paid 50 cents. Couches, chairs, pictures, furniture, whatever. We paid 50 cents. They paid three, four, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 for it and we pick it up at a yard sale for cheap. Your stuff is not your stuff forever. It might be in style now, but we're shabby chic. We'll make it in style anytime. Because it just doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work to provide everything and hold on to everything and hoard everything. Here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that we don't store up treasures here on this earth where moths eat and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. For your treasure needs to be in heaven where moths can't, rust can't, thieves can't take that away. That's where you need to be. My prayer is that you understand that as we start this series. My prayer is that you come back every week for the next four weeks as we walk through planning how to get ourselves in good financial shape so that we can be the kind of generous people that God wants us to be. That's my prayer for you. My prayer is that we find the joy of being a kid again in life and go, listen, I'm following God's plan. I got nothing to worry about. I'm going to clap when the music, I'm going to watch as they dance and I'm going to enjoy the people that love me. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God, may we have that heart of just joy and generosity. God, may we get our financial houses in order so that we can impact the world around us because it's not all about us. It's about serving the people that you give in our worlds to serve, that you provide for us, that you provide them in our sphere of influence so that we can love them in your name. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.